Welcome to episode 60 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Thursday the 7th of May 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today we're going to be talking very briefly about the Google May 2020 core update and also we'll be talking about your favourite five SEO myths that are still alive in 2020. It's core update time, Google on the 4th of May, so that was this last Monday gone on Star Wars Day, announced their incredibly creatively named core update, which they are calling the May 2020 core update. Much like the core update we had back in January, which I believe they also called the January 2020 core update. So continuing that very exciting um, (laughs) naming system. So in very similar fashion, copy and paste fashion to last time, the Google search liaison Twitter account tweeted saying, later today, we are releasing a broad core algorithm update as we do several times per year. It is called the May 2020 core update. Our guidance about such updates remains as we've covered before. Please see this blog post for more about that. And we will link you to the Google Webmasters blog about Google Core updates, as we have done before as well. Again, the advice hasn't really changed much. The summary is kind of just, if you see your site um, affected negatively by this, it's not that your site specifically has had actions taken against it. It's just that the algorithm has now decided that for those queries, other sites are of a better fit so their general advice is normally there isn't anything specific you can just go and kind of easily fix on your site it's not the same as getting a penalty we've kind of gone through that um, before a few times i wanted to mention it just at the top of the podcast just to make sure everyone was aware um, that there was a core update i'm aware not everyone uh, is obviously at work some of you may be furloughed at the moment and you know not keeping up to date there I say with the SEO news I mean who wouldn't do that um, so if you do see any big changes in ranking to your sites it could well be because of this core update again as usual with these core updates they do not kind of just happen overnight they normally take days or actually weeks to roll out and see the effects and impacts of that so they're happening kind of as Google's recrawling the web and applying whatever changes they've decided to make. And for that reason, yet because Google hasn't provided any specific information saying, you know, we're looking at these factors or this this algorithm update is going to target these sectors, nobody really knows anything. So it's probably not worth your time reading the ultimate guide to the May Core Update 2020 just yet. You can hold off maybe a couple of weeks before you start reading the uh, guides that contain everything you need to know about that. Looking at the data we do have, so um, tracking tools like Systrix, like SEMrush, do monitor what they call SERP volatility. So this is just looking at 
all of the keywords they track across their databases and they give an index of kind of a zero to 10 for how much they are shifting. The SEM rush SERP volatility for the last 30 days did actually spike on the 5th and 6th of May so far. So they were averaging below five over the last 30 days on their volatility index and it kind of peaks and troughs between two and five which they kind of class as green in their in a traffic light system and then on the 5th of may this jumped up to kind of a 7.9 and 8 and then on the 6th of may it was 9.4 so they were showing that across all sectors they were seeing quite a lot of movement up and down it does look like it calmed down the following day on may the 7th as I said, it's too early to draw any kind of conclusions yet. If you've been doing quote unquote the right thing for SEO, then hopefully you shouldn't have anything to worry about. And if anything does happen, I would hope that you fall on the positive side of that. But again, we will keep our ear to the ground. We'll talk to people, other SEOs and see what results people are seeing and where relevant, we'll give you an update in the next few episodes as well. About a week ago, I put a message out just asking the SEO community what were some of their favourite SEO myths that are still going around in 2020. I thought it'd be fun just to go through some of these and just kind of talk through them. I still see, well, looking at this list that I got from everyone, it's nothing new in 2020. It's the same SEO myths that have been persisting for years, the same ones I saw in 2015, the same ones I saw in 2010. Some are even more applicable, I think, nowadays, but it's good to always discuss these things and talk about them in a bit of depth because I think everyone at some point has been a bit of a victim to algorithm chasing where you get a little bit too focused on specific ranking factors and lose sight of that bigger picture and actually what search engines are trying to achieve. So I've taken five of the SEO myths that got submitted. I had about 20 or so and I've taken five that either came up multiple times because quite a few of you did submit the same thing uh, a few times over or I've taken ones that I think are particularly important. So in at number one is content length and someone actually submitted a tweet to reference what they mean by this which says the average blog post in 2019 was 1,236 words. That's 53% longer than six years ago. Today longer content performs better and gets better results. This and other great tips for writing high-performing content from friends at da 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 I won't go into who that was. And they've put a little chart at the bottom that's kind of showing the amount of words on a page and the performance of that page. And this is the uh, kind of myth that we hear a lot, which is basically search engines want long content. The longer the content, the better. And there's some very artificial guidelines it seems going around to you know a blog post must be 500 words or if you want it to rank really well it needs to be 2,000 words and we've seen these studies get published time and time again now the studies that are published 
are obviously showing a correlation in some cases. Actually, an interesting exception to that was the study that Dan Taylor and I talked about in episode 59, the last episode, when we discussed the Backlinko, I think it was 11.8 million search results study, because one of the conclusions that um, was drawn from that was that content length didn't actually seem to have too much of an impact. But usually these correlation studies do show, hey, look, you know, we've seen that these number one rankings tend to have more words than number two, three, four, five, etc. And sometimes there's a nice correlation there. But as we all know, and we're kind of probably all sick of hearing, correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. And it doesn't make sense to me either. It doesn't even make sense that that would be a thing that why would Google want to rank content that is more wordy versus content that isn't wordy. So I'll talk through that just to give you my thoughts on that. So one of the things we know Google optimizes for as a thing is time to result. So they've spoken about this a lot before. It's one of their kind of internal metrics for judging how their search engine is performing, i.e. we have a user do a query. How long does it take for them to find the piece of information or do the thing that they want to do, the time to result. So that's important. And we know Google optimizes everything around intent as well. So this is why for you know over 10 years now, Google's been on this mission where they've made this statement, you know, they've said it a few ways. They've talked about um, things, not strings. Uh, they've talked about becoming an answer engine as opposed to a search engine. And a lot of that is based around this time to result and intent. So really basic example, you know, if you Google what the weather is, you don't, you know, the top results anymore aren't weather sites. You just get the, you know, featured result that just tells you the answer to the thing you're looking for. And of course, we're all aware we've got, you know, universal search results now that bring in news stories, images, video, or we've got features now in the SERPs like, um, you know, recipes and featured snippets that are all aimed at reducing this time to result for users. And we know that Google does run tests on these different SERP features to find out what they think um, users prefer. So with all of that based around intent and trying to get the result as quickly as possible to someone, it doesn't make sense to me that Google would want huge wordy bits of content for at least if we think about specific search terms. So if the intent of a search is clear, you know, I want this one piece of information, why would they prefer to rank something that's 5,000 words long. And I've seen some really great examples of this over the years. One of my favorite, um, which has now been replaced, I think, by one of Google's own panels, was uh, queries around when the clocks change and when the clocks go back. And the example was that the top result was basically a website that pretty much just said in massive letters, the clocks go back on this date. And ranked number two to that was an article with hundreds of links that... Um, had a video about people's sleep cycles, had a history of, you know, why the clocks changed. It had images of people sleeping that were marked up about that. It had a poll on it to get people kind of clicking and sharing. 
Um, and it didn't rank as well as this article, which, you know, looked like it perfectly matched the intent, which is I'm after a date. Here's the date. And even if you look at really competitive SERPs, so if you look at something in the UK, at least, if I look at something like Play Live Blackjack, and that search term is one of the more expensive Google Ads terms. So you're looking at around about £120 per click for a term like Play Live Blackjack. So ranking for this term, you know, even with relatively small traffic is very much worthwhile. And when you look at the number one website for this, it's got around about 250 words in their main content. And that's again because the the intent of someone searching for Play Live Blackjack is fairly straightforward. That's a functional thing that they want to do. It doesn't make sense that Google would prefer to rank a site that's got 2,000 words about the history of playing you know, Live Blackjack. It's about matching the intent of what that user wants to do. And I think when we get these concrete examples, like, look, there's a really competitive search term here, and look, it doesn't have that many words, it makes sense. However, for um, terms that have broader intent, then it does make sense naturally, if, even if we don't think about search engines, to have longer content. So if you had, uh, so I'll give you two examples. If we had a search, say, for car maintenance, I would expect that to be kind of a long article because the term car maintenance itself is not clear in its intent. So there are lots of things that make up car maintenance, you know, like checking tire pressure, changing oil, de-icing your car, and maybe all of those things themselves might be shorter articles. But the the intent of the term car maintenance is quite broad. And this is why you see people implementing these what they call hub and spoke is one way or pillar content kind of strategies where they identify these broader key phrases and they write these really long uh, very good high quality detail guides because it's that length of content that's answering those broader queries and then within those um, articles and bits of content they'll usually deep link off to the specific uh, specific shorter articles which can then then rank themselves so putting all that together I think it's fair to say that on these correlation studies firstly you're more likely in, in these correlation studies to see results from these head and mid tail terms not so much long tail terms which will naturally be broader in intent so naturally you are going to see longer content rank in these um, in these situations and it's not you know, we're not seeing them rank because Google is saying, oh, it's 3,000 words, it's likely to, you know, it's, it's better content just because of the word length. It's because the people that have gone to the effort to answer those queries are literally just producing better, more helpful content, which in turn as well, and is the advantage of those, that kind of pillar content strategy is they'll be gaining links doing that because they're genuinely helpful guides. So I think it, it is very misleading to say that just generally long content performs better because especially on the case of these more specific intent terms, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Um, and to kind of back this logic up, it's something that Google themselves have been very clear about. Now, we of course always need to be um, careful or critical or cynical about how we interpret things that Google say 
And I'm not saying I think they outright lie when they tell us uh, specific bits of information, but there have been cases where they haven't necessarily been as clear as they might have been or mis you know mistakes have been made. But content length is something they have been crystal clear on and you know they've been very specific and just says look we don't use word count to you know as part of our decision for where we're ranking these pages um again there are side benefits of if you've got a long piece of content you've got more content so there's more potential to rank there for different long tail terms but when we're talking about individual rankings for these broad you know intent terms or any term i don't think it's it's right to say that they're just looking at this pure word count Number two uh, myth was Google uses bounce rate for ranking. Um, off the bat, um, I would say, again, this is something that Google has been super clear about and super specific and say, look, we do not use bounce rate slash Google Analytics data for our ranking algorithm. And they've said this multiple times from many different Googlers. And I think there's just actually a lot of confusion about what people mean when they say bounce rate because you know bounce rate as hopefully we all know has nothing to do with kind of engagement in terms of how long a user is spending on a page to give you the google analytics definition they say a bounce is a single page session on your site in analytics a bounce is calculated specifically as a session that triggers only a single request to the analytics server, such as when a user opens a single page on your site and then exits without triggering any other requests to the analytics server during that session. So that's our definition of bounce. And we can, with that, challenge the assumption that goes along with bounce rates, which is that a high bounce rate equals bad. Because I, again, I don't think that's necessarily the case. So if we take this example of going back to our car maintenance example, we've written an article about how to change a car battery. And someone's Googled how to change a car battery and we've ranked, you know, number two, say. They've clicked on our result and the page is loaded and they've spent 10 or 15 minutes reading that article, thought, okay, this is brilliant. You know, I, I'm perfectly happy doing this now and then they leave the page and then 20 other people have the same experience they come think this is amazing brilliant content read through it and then they leave so this then has got us we'll have pretty much a hundred percent bounce rate and the same if uh, you're googling for a phone number or an address or some contact details from a company and google does its job and sends you to the correct page you go there you jot down the information you you need and you leave Again, that's 100% or very high if you've got other visitors' bounce rate. But those experiences those people have had are what you would say are, are perfect user experiences. You know, they've, they've searched for a piece of information. They've landed precisely where they want to land. So actually, in terms of, you know, engagement, clicking around, not bouncing, it means they haven't had to navigate anywhere else to find any further information that they've needed. Everything they've needed has been on the page that the website and the serve that Google's found for them. So I think it's very difficult to build a general rule for a search engine if they were to use bounce rate to say, 
when is contextually a high bounce rate bad and when is a high bounce rate good? So it doesn't make much sense as a metric for them to use. And of course, Google to do this would need access to Google Analytics. And you know we have to be aware, although it's very popular, not all sites use Google Analytics. So they would need a way to reliably measure the bounce rate on all websites if they want to use that as a as a metric. And of course, with our definition of what a bounce rate or a bounce is, it's super easy to game bounce rate. You know, we can make it so any visitor on our page within Google Analytics fires off an event, which will bring our bounce rate down to, if not very close to, down to zero. So it really doesn't make much sense again as as a usable metric. And where some of the other discussions have happened have actually been more around user behavior on the SERPs. So we've seen people talking about things like dwell time and pogo sticking. So how long users are spending on the page and then going back to the search results maybe and then looking at other search results. And Google have been a little bit less clear about this. So when people have mentioned dwell time google's kind of replied sometimes on twitter saying things like you know what's dwell time and pogo sticking you know is is interesting uh when you think about it on the surface yeah that might be really helpful so someone does a query they click on a site but then they come back to the search results and then they then they look at pay you know the second or third result and then they stick there so maybe if people are frequently bouncing off the first result and by bounce I mean going back to the search page not bouncing off the site so they're going back to the search page and then looking at other search results maybe that's something they could look at and again there's there's a few problems with this if you think if you think about it if you think about the whole user journey and how Google can reliably use this as a metric so if we're looking to you know buy a new tv and we load up a review website it's it's likely that we're not going to just read one review so if we search for you know some samsung tv model and we read the number one review and then we're like that was great i'm going to go back and read the second one and maybe the third one and you know say on average people read two and a half reviews that would mean that this behavior of them clicking on the first result coming back to the serp and then looking at the second or third result is really common now, could you conclude from this then that the reviews ranked number two and number three are better than the review at number one? You can't necessarily say that's the fact because people might just want to read more than one review. So they're naturally going to read what's at the top first and finish later on. And there's been a couple of Google talks with Google engineers when they've in context been talking about when they do SERP experiments and how hard it is for them to use click data and user behavior to draw solid conclusions and build general rules. The other thing that's worth mentioning is, so Bill Swalski from SEO by the Sea, who uh, spends a lot of time and is really helpful reading through Google patents and publishing his thoughts on them. I saw him tweeting about pogo sticking, basically saying that in all of the paints he's reviewed, granted and pending, he's never once seen any mention of pogo sticking. And therefore, his thoughts were, if this is a um, important ranking thing for Google, then surely it should be in one of these patents. Um, so 
I think that one's a little less kind of clear. I think you know we've seen um, we've seen various different results come through, like click through rates and stuff from SERPs. But if we loop back round to the myth, which was about bounce rate, I'm fully behind this, which is that you know I'm confident that Google isn't using bounce rate from Google Analytics in their rankings. In at number three was technical SEO is no longer important. And you might think that, I've heard this the most from uh, people who, funnily enough, specialize in content or link building. And I mean, I guess, you know, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And you would have thought that technical SEO has, you know, would get less important over the years because the technology from the search engines is improving and it certainly has you know because now google is rendering uh pages more uh, or actually now evergreen to how google, uh, how chrome looks at them so it's rendering css javascript and it never used to do this before but the actual web tech is still outpacing google's kind of resource to look at it how in a, in a similar way to how users are seeing it so if anything, we're doing, you know, we're certainly as an agency doing way more tech SEO now than we were, you know, five years ago. So, you know, especially we've talked about them before, but the JavaScript frameworks, you know, Vue, Angular, Re uh, Angular, React are, you know, brilliant frameworks, but they are causing more issues around, uh, you know, client-side JavaScript. And this is because this rendering of JavaScript particularly as a specific issue for Google is tricky because it's very resource intensive and they have finite resource. And again, we've spoken about that before at length about this delay between Google initially crawling pages, looking at the HTML and when it gets queued up to be kind of fully rendered. And from a technical SEO point of view, we've had to put in whole solutions to deal with this, you know, like server-side rendering is getting a lot more common now. And these solutions really only exist for robots, whether they are, you know, from social networks or from search engines. We're branching out and building these extra systems that not only we have to make, but we have to continue managing them for robots. So, you know, having, you know, doing server-side rendering and at the same time, serving a site that's client-side rendered for your normal visitors is a lot more work because you need to make sure that, you know, both are working and both are in sync and caching on one isn't broken. So that's quite a in-depth task. And like we mentioned before, these, you know, the universal search results are always changing. We're getting more SERP features always, not less. And things like schema are becoming more important. So again, I think it was the Paclinko study that said schema is not important. And there's been a few things talking about how, you know, schema doesn't impact rankings, which I'm, you know, uh, directly again, I think is fair to say. It, it does, I think, help Google understand, you know, entity relationships for what is this thing, what is this thing, and how do they relate to each other. But the very fact is, if you want to appear, you know, in a, in a recipe, uh, card on Google, you have to have the schema or you're not going to be eligible in the first place for it. And again, these are all extra technical things that only exist now that, you know, have to be built. And the cost of getting some of these technical things wrong is is very high. 
you know, you can kill a site, the site's performance, its ability to rank, no matter what you do with your content and with your, you know, outreach, if, um, if you get this technical stuff wrong. So again, I think even though we've got, you know, big popular platforms like Shopify, like WordPress, like we spoke about in the last few episodes, it would be foolish to say that, you know, technical SEO is no longer important. And I thought as number four, it would only be fair to get the other view, which is that as long as you write great content, people will find you and there's no need to build any links. Um, So that's like the um, opposite end of the opinion spectrum to tech SEO isn't important. And, you know, for years and years and years, Google has been playing this line of, you know, content is king, just make the best possible content and good stuff will kind of happen. It used to be that, in my opinion, that line was just laughable because SEO was, you know, primarily about links and enough links would fix just about anything and rank just about anything. Of course, with, you know, the updates we've had with Panda, Penguin, etc. over the years, that's not the case anymore. You definitely need uh, good content, but links certainly still are important or actually just even some kind of outreach, even if the goal isn't, you know, this laser focused Um, you know, we need this many links that are followed with this anchor text from these domains. So whether it's social or more uh, digital PR, which is certainly popular at the moment, is that these content signals on their own aren't strong enough. It doesn't matter, you know, if you build a brand new, if you go and register a new domain, you build a brand new website and you write the best article about car maintenance and don't tell anyone about it, while it may get indexed, it's highly unlikely that that content is just going to rank itself. There are a few sites, obviously big sites, that have the luxury of being powerful enough so when they publish new content, it just starts to rank. But when you kind of follow this trail of breadcrumbs, that's usually because those sites themselves have so many links that they're passing around this kind of whatever you want to call it, authority, trust, link equity, whatever you like, they're passing that through to those articles through internal linking. That's what's causing them to rank. Um, you know, it's very clear to to test that. If you publish the same or very similar bits of content on a big established site versus a new site, you know, the new site isn't just going to start ranking. So if you're not in that position with a known brand, with a known following, you're going to need some outreach and ideally links to help you rank that content. So again, to say, you know, links aren't important, links are dead is just ridiculous, uh, to be quite honest. Um, And, you know, when you see people saying, oh, I, you know, I made this content, I got it to rank without links. There are, of course, always links to that content, because if there weren't links to it, people wouldn't be able to find it. And normally those links are internal. So again, you know, this new bit of content they've written that quote unquote has no links does have the benefit of links because the rest of the site has links. And lastly at number five I wanted to finish on spending money on Google Ads improves rankings. Uh, It's kind of an interesting one actually so off the bat of course you know, spending money on Google ads does not directly affect your organic results. Uh, you know, there's, there's no, I don't think, 
it's, it's come up as a myth so it's obviously still talked about but I think it's pretty clear for most people in SEO that's not the case. It is interesting though, and I wanted to talk about it because there's some interesting side effects that have been quite well documented, which is if you're running Google ads and you're appearing uh, as an ad for things you also rank for organically, is that you tend to then get more clicks than usual on your organic result because of the double listing. And that's likely just down to some kind of psychological effect of that double listing, but I think it's quite interesting. And, you know, even if you don't rank for something, if you are running Google ads and appearing for keywords, it's going to have other halo benefits of, you know, you're going to get more, hopefully you're going to get more brand searches. You're going to get more of your brand searches related to the products or services, whatever it is that you're offering. And you're starting to build that digital footprint as to your brand, your identity, your entity within Google. And of course, running ads, getting clicks means more eyeballs on your content, more eyeballs means more exposure, more chances to be shared, more chance to get linked to, all of which are things that are going to contribute to you ranking. So again, it's a it's a case of being careful with correlation, causation. Google have been very clear about this as well. And again, if we think outside of just rankings and logically what would benefit them, I think, you know, not my expert area in law, but there would probably be, to put it to put it kindly, a legal grey area around not disclosing your manipulating organic search results based on people paying for ads as well. And I don't even see what particularly the benefit to Google would be to take such a massive risk, you know, even if it's not legal, even with a kind of PR perspective, why would they would want to risk that? And how in any way helping people rank organically would positively impact their Google ad spend. If anything, I would see it reducing. Um, so it really doesn't make any sense to me as a theory. Google have been very clear lots of times that it's definitely not a thing. But again, there is this halo effect of, yeah, if you run ads to your content, you're more likely to get links, which is great, more eyeballs, more uh, more links, better rankings. Same is true when, you know, people produce new content, you might pay to boost it on social because just getting people to it is again going to help it get out there and help get links. So I hope we've cleared up some of those SEO myths and you've enjoyed listening to them. We are going to be back on Monday, the 18th of May. As usual, you can get all of the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. And I hope you all take care and we'll see you then.